born to die that he might give eternal life that I might live Welcome to Yankee Arnold Ministries. Dr. Arnold will be with you in just a moment, but first, we want you to know how much we appreciate your prayers and financial support. You may help this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Again, that's 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Feel free to send Dr. Arnold your questions or comments to yankee at yankeearnold.com, and he will respond as quickly as possible. Now, here is Dr. Arnold with today's message. A lot of people say they, they're rebellious to the Lord, and you want God to chasten them. And they actually prayed about that in the book of Corinthians in chapter 5. Somebody was doing things they shouldn't do, and so they prayed a, a big hedge of thorns about them. They would Lord and take them home. But here, in verse 6, Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns, and make a wall that she shall not find her path. So this is what sometimes, when you know somebody that's not walking with the Lord, pray a hedge of thorns around that individual. Because you love them. Not because of revenge. Not because you want them hurt, but because you want them to get back to the Lord as quickly as possible. Because you don't want people just to walk away from the Lord. Nothing happened to them. I want God to deal with them in their lives. Because you love people. And you care about them. So also, I want you to look there while we're here. Look in Hosea chapter 3. This is not where I wanted to dwell, but it's a good place to chase a rabbit. In verse 3. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot. Thou shalt not be for another man. So will I also be for thee. In other words, God says, I'm, I'm waiting on you. Because Israel, he had to divorce his wife. But he's waiting for it to come back. And everything will be hunky-dory. But in verse 4, For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, without a prince, and without a sacrifice. Because, you see, there hasn't been anybody can claim the throne since Christ. There hasn't been a temple, so there's no sacrifices. So these many days have lasted quite a long time. But you know and I know that one day all of it's going to come back. But in verse 5, he says, And afterwards shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. So this is what God is going to do. But God says there's going to be judgment. And the reason is because people do not know the truth. Now, as we study in chapter 9, 10, and 11, remember talking about the past, the present, and the future of Israel, so that you can see where you come from, what happened to you, and then how God can bless you based upon your decisions and the end result. So Israel, yes, became rebellious, and they were going to be chastened of the Lord, and they were, but God says, now, I did it because I'm trying to get you to come back to me. This is the reason and the purpose for the tribulation period. It's to really wake up Israel. Because Israel will know. If God does not intervene. If the Messiah doesn't come back. Israel will be annihilated. Except God's intervention. 
And God says it's going to be a short period of time. That he's not going to wait forever. It's like, you know, it just seems like we can do wrong and get away with it and get away with it and get away with it. And God says, that's enough. The word destruction also sometimes referred to as consumption. And I'll show you that in just a second. But look at this. In verse 6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because because thou hast rejected knowledge, I also will reject thee from being the nation they ought to be and so forth in the priest and the temple and everything was taken away from them. But there's still a remnant of God's people. And he makes the statement down there in verse 10, uh, for they shall eat and not have enough. They shall commit whoredom and shall not increase because they have left off to take heed to the Lord. In other words, you would not listen to me. You went your own way. I warned you. I warned you. I warned you. And he even says that whoredom and wine didn't satisfy you. See there in verse 11, he says, because it takes away the heart from the Lord. And so they hardened themselves little by little over and over and over again. Uh, look there in verse 15 of chapter 5. This is just a good little verse on the sideline, but I want you to see it. He said, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. And you ought to underline this phrase in your Bible. In their afflictions, in their afflictions, they will seek me early. So that's why you pray a hedge of thorns around a particular person, because you want them to seek the Lord early. It means immediately, right away. And uh, it's like a person going to prison, but we give them everything they want in prison. You know, they've got the gymnasium, they've got the weights, and they've got the TV, and they've got everything that they want, and they've got a padded cell, and everything's wonderful. It's like living in a mansion. But take away all that stuff and send them to Arizona where they can live in Tent City, and they may not want to come back. You want people to wake up and realize. And I don't believe that many people in America are going to understand or realize the error of their ways until God has to really slam this country pretty hard. I think he's in the process of doing some of that myself. But anyway, all these things are coming. And um, uh, just, uh, I better get back over there to the book of <laughs> Romans. There's a lot of good stuff in the book of uh, Hosea that's kind of like the warning and this is why Paul is going back to the book of Hosea, telling them, this is what I told you and why I did what I did. So there's many things that we learn from the Old Testament that we're supposed to be a little wiser uh, because of it. So God says in the book of Romans in chapter 15, uh, look, look, look in chapter 15 of Romans. See there in verse 4? In verse 4 where he makes the statement, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written... Get this, for our learning, for our learning. So we're supposed to learn from the Old Testament Scriptures. Get this, we're written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, the Old Testament, might have hope. Because we understand that God, in see in verse 5, the God of patience. And down in verse 13, now the God of hope. And this is what he's talking about. And you look in verse 33, the God of peace. So you can learn things about God by studying the stories in the Old Testament that will help you to have more patience, to have more confidence, more hope, to have more boldness, to have the peace of God. Because you understand the process by which God works. It's just kind of like playing sports. Any sports you want to play, 
You need to know the rules. How would you like to play a game and there are no rules? Do you think you'd get any arguments? Probably. If <laughs> but we're going, we're going to try this at one camp. Uh, at our camp. We're going to probably maybe try some Russian softball. Where there's virtually no rules. The rule is there's no rules. It's kind of like this person just told me recently. He says, I was thinking about joining the nudist colony. But I would have so much trouble trying to figure out what clothes not to wear. Our biggest problem is opening up the closet trying to figure out what am I going to wear. <laughs> See, where would that come from? I, never mind. Go back to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. And you'll notice where he says in verse 26, And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people. There shall the be, be called the children of the living God. Isaiah also cried concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sands of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. There's still going to be a remnant. And when he's talking about being saved, I believe he's talking about being saved. Because you look down in chapter 10, it says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for God to Israel is that Israel would be saved. But you see, there's always a remnant of people that do believe. But majority of people don't believe. And you know what has amazed me over the years? As you study the scriptures, you find out that there is not an Old Testament verse that tells me what, what Noah preached. It just said he was a preacher of righteousness. Well, we know he couldn't be a preacher of man's righteousness because no man can ever be saved by his own right, so he had to be a preacher of God's righteousness. What well, talks about Noah was a preacher and a prophet. He talked about Christ coming with ten thousands of his saints, but go to the Old Testament, you can't find that. The Bible tells us about Moses and how that Moses, well, he esteemed the reproach of Christ to be of greater riches than all the treasures in Egypt. Well, it, we don't, how, did, how do you know about Christ, the Messiah? I mean, they didn't have an Old Testament scriptures. He hadn't wrote it yet. God hadn't used them to write it yet. But he already knew about Christ. He says so. And he knew who he was. He knew what that was going on. So there's things that they knew that we don't have the scripture that says this is what they said or this is how they knew. But there's a lot of knowledge they had back then that's not necessarily recorded. But God's preachers, God's prophets were preaching it. The Bible says that God preached before the gospel unto Abraham. And where does it say that? In the book of Galatians in chapter 3 and verse 8. So does it say that God preached before the gospel to Abraham in the Old Testament? Well, yes. I wonder what that gospel was. What The one that wrote that in Galatians 3, 8 is the very same one that says there is only one gospel. Only one. So if there's only one gospel for the salvation of a man, well, it could be two, it can't be three. And so he says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ or into the gospel of Christ, that you be changed or moved and believe in a perverted gospel, one that adds works to it, because the test of the gospel is grace. So whatever that message was that God preached to Abraham, it could not have included works, so it had to be by grace. But yet there's so much that God has revealed that we do not know. 
to them that was not recorded. I'd love to have everything that God ever said to everybody. Maybe when I get to heaven, we can sit down in his great big law library and see everything that's ever been said. I want reruns on everything that's ever happened. I mean, if we can record it, sure he can. And remember this. The devil was able to show Jesus Christ all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. Without a VCR. But he saw it. How did he do it? Well, if he can do it, I'm sure the Lord can do it. But look what he says here. In uh, verse 28, For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. Now, this is talking about there in the book of Isaiah, and uh, chapter 10, I believe it is, where he's talking about this idea of there is all these people as the sands of the sea, but yet there's only a remnant of believers. When Christ came, did not he say that the way of destruction is wide? And yet he says there's a narrow gate and few there be that find it. Look at the world today. How many religions there are. But are they really trusting Christ as their Savior? Or are most people just religious? They're religious. But never really understand. They, can't, they don't see it. They don't really trust Christ as their Savior. Well, God knows all of this. And he says that he has had enough. And you see, like God is very patient, even with a person who is rebellious. And God's patient. And God's patient. And God's patient. And God's patient. But the patience is running out, and time will be short. And all of a sudden, it's like, all of a sudden. Wait a minute. God's been dealing with you for how long? He's been patient with you for how long? And then it seems like all of a sudden, God's going to do a work in your life. Now, he's already working. He's patient. And God is a good God. Uh, take your Bible and look there in the book of uh, Isaiah chapter 10 real quick. I believe it's chapter 10. It's, uh, my memory's not always the best. The older I get. Yeah, Isaiah chapter 10, look there in verse 22. Verse 22, it's on page 722 where he makes a statement. He says in verse 22, For though thy people Israel be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return. The consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness. In other words, the destruction, the failings that brings about the destruction. Why is this all talking about in a book of Romans? Referring back to these scriptures. Because as a child of God, there are things that's going to happen in your life. And do not we say that, well, I've had many failings in my life. Uh, there's things that have brought upon me the chastening hand of God. Though God is patient, his judgment is sure. A child of God can't live as he pleases and gets away with it. Could the nation of Israel? No. Even though God was patient for a long period of time. And then God had to bring his chastening hand. See there in verse 23. For the Lord God of hosts shall make a 
consumption or a destruction, even determined in the midst of all the land. Verse 24, Therefore thus saith the Lord God of hosts, O my people that dwelleth in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrian, for he shall smite thee with a rod, and shall lift up his staff against thee after the manner of Egypt. For yet a very little while, that's that word short, that you find over there in the book of uh, Romans that we're reading in right now. It's a short period of time. And God's going to do a work. But this is maybe not the kind of a work that you anticipated. But he says, And the ignorant nations shall cease, and mine anger, and here's that phrase, in their destruction. So you see that God puts a hedge of thorns around a disobedient individual. And then that circle begins to close in on you. It's like being in a prison. When you rebel against the Lord, it is not freedom. To run and go your own way is not freedom. You see, God will give you a lot of freedom within the boundary of the will of God. I've had a lot more freedom to serve the Lord because I trust Him. And He gives me a lot more liberty. Isn't that true even with children? The more they trust you, the more you trust them. And whenever they say, well, you just don't trust me. I wonder why. You see, trustworthiness means you're worthy of trust. And some kids have not earned the right to be trusted. You see, trust has to be earned. God is saying, look, I've earned the right to be trusted. As a child of God, God has given to us the gospel, and he's trusting us with the message. Even so, we speak not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our heart. So how are you doing with this trust? You are a trustee, been put in trust with the gospel. So how are we doing? And so God says, because of rebellion in any way, God says, I will put things in your path that forces you to make a decision. And if your heart is not right, you'll become hardened. And when you become hardened, God says you'll become a vessel that of, uh, of wrath that I will use to demonstrate my displeasure. Or you can be teachable and pliable in the hands of God. And apply the water of the word to your life. And it'll make you where you can bend and he can shape you into the person that God wants you to be. This is what uh, God is talking about. Anyway, go back here to Romans in chapter 9. As you go down through here, and it says there in verse 29, Isaiah said, except the Lord of Sabbath, the Lord of hosts, had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and Gomorrah. In other words, wouldn't have been no seed. And everything that God has done, there has to be a seed. Because, you see, Jesus Christ has to come from the seed line. And it's not just that he came from the nation of Israel, but from believers. I believe that Joseph and Mary both were believers in the Lord, especially Mary. That's another sermon. But look what he says here in verse 30. What shall we say then, that the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, in other words, they did not pursue righteousness. But, as he says here, have obtained to righteousness even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, in contrast, look at this, which followed after the law of righteousness, in other words, seeking to be made righteous by the law, did not attain unto righteousness. In other words, for example, 
if you have to be perfect to go to heaven, are you perfect? See how simple that is? If you have to be perfect to go to heaven, are you perfect? Can you live a perfect life? then how do you ever expect to earn your way to heaven? If you have to be perfect to go there, can you live a perfect life? Well, no. Well, then how can you expect to earn your way to heaven? By your life. Impossible. They could not be saved by the law in the Old Testament, and no one ever was. Everybody's always saved the same way. And look what he says. Now, remember, this is in the New Testament, but it's talking about something in the Old Testament. And so he says, but Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. In verse 32, wherefore, because they sought it not by what? Faith. Get this. But as it were by the works of the law. So what were they trusting in to get them to heaven? Or to have righteousness? The law. Well, isn't that good enough? No. And yet you'll hear some people say, well, in the Old Testament, they had to keep the law to be saved. Well, you, you have to keep the law in the New Testament too. But can you? No, it's impossible. You see, if you had to be perfect to go to heaven, and you have to live a perfect life, people say, okay, I'm going to start from right now, and for the rest of my life, I'm going to live a perfect life. Ho, 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 not so fast. You don't get to decide when to start. You had to start when you were born. Not now. Not now. You had to start when you were born. Because, you see, you can't ever commit a sin. So you've got to start from the day you were born. And then you still got a problem. David says, I was born in sin. With a sinful nature. You couldn't go to heaven with that sinful nature. You still got a problem. Are y'all following me? Y'all just sitting there like... This is important stuff. But the scriptures are so clear about how they were saved in the Old Testament. Same way you and I are. And he says that they were trying to earn their own righteousness by their deeds. And God says, no. Then why were the Gentiles? Because they got it by faith. We just simply believe it. They wouldn't. And they wanted to earn it. And they couldn't earn it. So the law was given to show them that you could not save yourself. But look in verse 33. He says, As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, that's Christ, and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him. So we know the stumbling stone and the offense, the rock of offense, is Christ. It's him. And if you'll believe on him, you will not be ashamed, or as other places, confounded, confused. You'll know what you believe and where you're going because it's dependent upon him. But some people stumble over that. And he's talking about they stumbled. They stumbled. But look up here. I want to show you this. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. See, all of us do wrong. All of us have done bad. And we've got to pay for it. The payment is death and hell. God won't be satisfied by nothing else but by except taking your life. The wages of sin is death. You did it, you owe it. So that's why God wants us to go to heaven, because he loves us, but he hates our sin. And we can't go to heaven with our sin. So how is God going to get me in and keep this 
out. You and I couldn't find a way because we are sinners and we can't separate ourselves from it. So what Christ did, there's a way. Christ came into the world. The Lord God himself, perfect, no sin. We have sin, but not him. He's righteous. He's perfect. He did no wrong, so he didn't have to die. But because he loved us, he said he'd take our place. So he died in our place. He took all the sin of all the world, that debt that we had, that debt we had, he, took, he paid for it. He paid my sin debt. Came back from the dead. And he said that if I would believe that he did it for me, he would put the payment he made to my account. I go to heaven what he did. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. I'm a sinner. So are you. We're all sinners. Everybody in the whole world. When he paid for our sins, he did it for everybody in the world and offers it to everybody. Whosoever would believe, you would not perish. I mean, go to hell, but have eternal life. So that's why I can't go to hell. Because he says, if I believe it, I shall not perish. It means I can't go to hell. Why can't I go to hell? Because he says I can't go to hell. Why? Because I believe it. Either you believe it or you don't believe it. I don't have any sins to pay for. He, he paid for my sins. That's why the most five powerful words in the whole word of God is, Christ died for my sins. Why am I going to heaven? Christ died for my sins. That's why I'm going to heaven. It's not because I have been good, very good. <laughs> I have been very good. Yeah, see that? That's my word. No, nothing comes up close to those five words. Christ died for my sins. That's why I'm going to heaven. And that's the only reason anybody goes to heaven. You're not going to heaven because you go to church. You don't go to heaven because you've been good. Because you haven't been. I hate to break your heart. You have not been good enough. No one has ever lived good enough to go to heaven by their good deeds. It's the gift of God. Best news in all the world. Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. If you're here this morning and have never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you trust him? Would you believe that when he died, he died for you? Don't you want to go to heaven? You know, if you don't trust the Lord, you'll spend eternity separated from God in hell. And if you're watching by Internet, right there on the screen, it says, yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior. If you've never done so, would you do it right now? Would you just click it and say, yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior? We don't know who you are. It just lets us know that you watched, you listened, and you said you would trust Christ as your Savior. But if you're in the auditorium, and if you've never trusted the Lord, would you right now in the quietness of this moment just talk to the Lord and say something simple like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And I believe that when Christ died, he died for me. And right now I will trust him as my Savior, as my only hope of going to heaven. Would you do that? Would you trust him? And if you will, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a moment. Raising your hand doesn't save you. It just lets me know that what I said made sense to you. And I'd like to pray for you. And I'd like to know. So is there anyone at all before we close? Just slip your hand very quickly and put it. Yes, I trust Christ as my Savior today. And put it right back down just as quick as you can. Yes, God bless you, buddy. Anyone else? Just slip it up real quick and put it right back down. Are there others? Hard to see everybody all at one time. Especially when I don't have my glasses on. and don't see too good out there. Anyone else before we close? Our Father, we do thank you so much for your goodness to us. And for giving us these things written in your word. We also pray especially, Lord, for the one that indicated they would trust your Savior. Because when they do, 
that you promise them eternal life as a gift, that you'll never cast them out and never lose them. We ask your blessings upon each one here as they think about the things that we've discussed. You're coming back soon. We're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And there comes the time when nobody can do any more. Our opportunities here in this life will all be over. But Father, we know that we'll be with you for all eternity. So bless each one. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Were you ever told that you must confess Christ before men to be saved? Were you warned that if you refused to confess Christ, He would not confess you before the Father? Just what does that mean? Pastor Yankee Arnold has prepared just the right book with answers straight from the Bible. The book is called Gospel Driven Man, and Pastor Yankee wants to send it to you free of charge. Simply write to Pastor Yankee at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634, and request the book or request by email at yankee at yankeearnold.com. That's yankee at yankeearnold.com. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound, and we will be changed, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace amazes me